Let me just say, first of all, welcome to our Christmas service today. And also, as I, I look at many of you here today, I know some of you just got back from a holiday that you had with your own family. And I'm thankful that you came back perhaps a bit early just to join us for today's Christmas service. So if you've been traveling with your family for the holiday, I'm just so happy that you're here with us today. And I also want to uh, say uh, welcome back to Sister Emma, who's all the way in the back there. Welcome back, Emma. If you thought I was gone for a long time, then her absence must felt like an eternity to you. Uh, but we're certainly happy that she's back with us. Also, uh, not with us here in Samarang, but back in Indonesia, still in quarantine in Jakarta, our pastors Daniel and Sifera. They will be here next week, and so we're going to celebrate with them back here in the presence of God and with the church. But let me just say, I, I heard from Sifera uh, this past week, and all the doctor's reports were nothing but positive, and we are thankful for that. And we're thankful that she's back in Indonesia with a new strength, and she's ready to get back to work for the Lord and, and back to preaching and all the other things of ministry. So we thank God for that. And, and I certainly let her know, I assured her, that her church here has been praying for her. And she wanted me to, to know that that has been such an encouragement and such a strength to her heart and to her spirit, to know that you are alongside of her in prayer. And we'll see her next week. Well, for today... This is our Christmas service, so let me just begin now by saying Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, Christmas, of course, is this Saturday, but this will be the last time we're meeting as a church before the Christmas holiday, so we can go ahead and say Merry Christmas to all of you. And speaking of Christmas and our December theme of from eternity to eternity, we're going to look at the scriptures today, and we're going to read one verse, one verse only. John chapter 3, verse 16. And today's sermon is titled, Three Words. That's it, just three words that will come from John three sixteen. I hope there are many of you that don't even need to open your Bibles to know what John three sixteen is, but just for the sake of practice, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. Let's turn to verse 16. Let's stand together and read this wonderful, beautiful, glorious verse. These are the words of Jesus. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Three words. You know, John 3.16 is probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible. I'm a sports fan, and I like to watch a lot of American sports, and a lot of athletes who wear that dark makeup under their eyes to keep away the sun glare, they've got these black stripes under their eyes, and many of them will paint the words John and then 3.16 on the other side. When you watch a game, you'll see many fans in the stadium or in the arena holding up a sign, not for a team, not for a certain cheer, but it just simply says John 3.16. And the hope is that that's enough for you to at least already know what that message is, but at least it'll encourage you to go into your Bible and find out what that verse says. 
is probably the greatest verse in all the Bible. The whole purpose of God in Scripture is all found in John 3, 16. And how many people, even here in our sanctuary, how many people from one century to the next, how many sinners have come to Christ because of this one verse, John 3, 16. I know at the age of eight or nine, this was the verse that I heard preached. This was the verse that drew me to Jesus, and I knew I needed to be saved, and I invited him into my life. And maybe that's true for you today. The greatest verse, perhaps, in all the Bible. And you know, this verse is 25 words, at least in my English translation, but you could actually take this verse, John 3.16, and you could sort of only pick out the main words of this verse. And you would come up with 10. 10 words that really make up this verse. The whole entire message revolves around these 10 words. God loved, world, gave, son, whoever believes, perish, have life. Those 10 words, the entire message revolves around them. Almost as though as we've got stars here on this side of the platform, it's almost as though these are the stars of a constellation. You know when you see a constellation out in space, you see the stars and you're supposed to draw a line from one star to the next, and then you've got the complete picture of that constellation. Well, if there was a constellation called the salvation of God, these would be the stars that you would connect together to get the full picture of the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Ten words. You know, the Bible says that God is the creator of all things. And when you read the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, you'll find in that one chapter, it says ten times, God said. All of creation came into being because God said ten times, let there be light. God said, let there be a firmament. And God said, let the waters gather. And all these things, ten times it says, God said. Ten commandments in the creation of the world. And then when God brought Moses to Mount Sinai, and God gave his laws to the people of Israel, he gave his law all wrapped up into ten commandments. In ten commandments, he spoke the law. And when it comes to salvation, ten words we find in this verse that sum up the entire plan of God. John 3.16 is an amazing verse. And today I want our focus to go even deeper into this verse. Not to just look at 25 words, not to just look at 10 words, but we're going to focus on today just three words from this wonderful verse. Three words. And we're going to call these three words, number one, the first word, the central word, and the final word. So let's look at John 3.16 together again. And I hope that by the end of today's service, you're going to know John 3.16 by heart, because we're going to read it a lot. But let's begin with number one, the first word. The first word, God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Just as creation begins with God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as the law begins with God, it begins by saying, and God spoke all these words to Moses. And so it is with love. Love begins with God. For God so loved the world. Yes, it is God who first loved us. God, the eternal, self-existing, most holy, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient creator of the world. The one who is in need of nothing. The one who is adorned by seraphim and cherubim angels whose endless cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, shakes the very foundation of heaven. It is God, the creator and sustainer of the world, who gazes upon the vastness of our universe, even the most distant galaxies still unknown to man, who holds all the stars in the span of his hand, and he calls them all by name. Yes, it is God who takes the initiative. It is God who so loves the world. God did not wait for us. God did not wait for us to be worthy of his love. God did not wait for us to become righteous. He didn't wait for us to become holy. He didn't wait for us to seek him. No, God loved us before we even knew who he was. In fact, I would say that if God were to wait until you reached out to him first, if God waited until you became righteous and worthy for him, then I suppose he'd still be waiting now. There would be no Christmas. We would, be not, we would not be singing today of salvation if God waited on us to make the first move. It's God who loved us first. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world. Now that word love is agape love. There, there's nothing greater than that. It's a measureless love. But yet here in the Bible, Jesus says God so loved the world. Even beyond your imagination, how much did he love the world? So much that he would give his only begotten son. Now these three words are phrases I love. He so loved the world that he gave. The world. The world. I remember my wife's grandmother who received Jesus Christ just shortly before she died. 95-year-old woman who knew almost nothing about Scripture, really nothing about Jesus or the message of the cross at all. I remember when I first introduced her to Jesus and was praying for her, in her mind, just because of the way she grew up and in the religion that she was a part of and what her family taught her, in her mind, she wanted to hear more about the American God. Or she wanted to know more about the white man's God, meaning me. And I had to teach her, this isn't an American God. And this is certainly not a white man's God. This is the God of the world. This is the God of glory. 
and he does not discriminate. He's not the God of America. He's not the God of Indonesia. He's not the God of Mandarin language or the God of Spanish language. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a child, rich or poor, no matter what culture you come from, God does not discriminate. He says, I love the world, including you and me. And God loved, therefore he gave. And that is a principle you will find in Scripture. And it's God who teaches us this. When you love, you give. Now I suppose it's possible to give without loving, but it's not possible to love without giving. Amen. And you know, we see the same thing about Jesus. The Bible says several times that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. You cannot love without giving. And God so loved the world, he gave us his son. You know, in my office at home, in my bookshelves and all my, around my walls and my desk, I have many knickknacks and, and sculptures and letters and scripture verses and paintings all done by my children, and they've given them to me. And there's one in the middle of my bookshelf that I see every day. It was painted by my daughter, Yaya. And it was done, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. She wanted to paint a painting, so she drew out a picture of a yellow-crested cockatoo, which at the time was like my favorite bird, and I own one of those birds. And so she just wanted to paint one. She put all the colors into it. She put all her effort into it. I had no idea she was doing it. And one day she brought it home and she gave it to me. Do you know why she did that for me? Do you know why our kids do anything for us? It's because they love us. They find what makes us happy and they do those things that please us. They love and they give. This is what we learn from God. Now how about you? Do you love him? Do you love the Lord? And if so, how have you shown him that you love him? There's a story in the Gospel of Luke where there is a woman who comes into where Jesus is eating. He is at a Pharisee's house. They're having a discussion. And in comes this woman who normally would not be invited into this home. But she comes in anyway. She goes to the feet of Jesus and she begins to cry on them, wiping them with their hair, and she breaks open her alabaster box and she pours upon her ointment, her fragrance upon his feet and anoints his feet. And the, the whole house must have smelled like that fragrance. And do you know that for this woman to do that, to do what she did, it took, first of all, some calculation. She calculated doing this. She planned this. She knew where she... Jesus would be, and she knew what she was going to bring. She knew in her mind what she was going to do, and she prepared herself to do it. She calculated this. And then we see she was courageous in doing this because this was a woman who was known as a sinful woman. And all the religious people cast her to the side as a sinful woman. And yet she crossed over into their realm and came to Jesus. And when she came to Jesus, she gave him a costly sort of offering. That fragrance was not cheap, but very costly. 
She was calculated. She was courageous. And what she gave was costly. And when Jesus saw this, he told the people why she did it. He knew why. And he said it was because of love. It was because she loved him that she gave this worship and she gave this offering. God so loved us that he gave us his son. Do you love God? And if so, how do you show him that love? In John 3.16, we see that love comes before the gift. But the gift is proof of such great love. God is the first word. And then we come to the central word of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it just so happens that in my English translation, this New King James Version, it just so happens there are 25 words in this verse, which means the center word is number 13. With 12 on one side and 12 on the other, the center word, number 13, which is son. And it just so happens to be that way. The son is the center of this verse. And so the center of God's love is also the son. And God demonstrates the magnitude of his love by giving us his only begotten son. Do you know, when Jesus was born, in fact, even today when we celebrate Christmas, we often find that manger scene when you've got a statue of Mary and Joseph and you've got Jesus the baby inside of a manger and there's some animals and there are some shepherds that are there and things like that. And people back then, and I'm sure people today, look at that manger scene. And every Christmas, there are many people who say, yeah, this is the time of year we remember that this child was born. Well, you know Isaiah, who lived more than 500 years before Jesus. Isaiah saw the coming of Jesus Christ. And looking into the future, he said that at the coming of Jesus, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now from the world's point of view, Christmas is about a child that was born. No more, no less. But from heaven's point of view, it was a son that was given to us by God the Father. It was the son, the eternal son of the living God who came into this world, given to us out of the love of God. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And you want to know something that's incredible? It is to me, and I think it should be to you too. Do you know that while Jesus is God's love gift to you, do you know that also you are God's love gift to Jesus? Did you know that? Listen to that again. God loves you so much that he gave you his son, Jesus. And God loves his son so much that he gave him you. In our first series, sermon to the series, we read from John chapter 7, verse 24. Let me remind you what it says. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you 
gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see that? The Father gave you to Jesus. Why? Because the Father has loved his Son from before the foundation of the world. So again, God loved you so much, he gave you Jesus. And God loves Jesus so much that he gave him you. And what do you do with such a gift? What do you do with any gift that you're given? Do you ask somebody, how much does this gift cost? Do you ask a person, what do I need to do in return for this gift? No. If you have to do anything for it, it means it's not a gift anymore, but a reward or a payment. Jesus is the gift of God. What do you do with a gift? Only one thing. Receive it. That's it. You only receive it. We receive Jesus as a gift as Jesus received you as a gift. Jesus said that all the Father gives to me, when they come to me, I will not cast them away. I will not reject that gift that my Father gives to me. I will not cast them away, Jesus says. You are welcomed into the heart of Christ. He has received you as his Father's gift. And so we are to receive Jesus in the same way. We receive him as a free gift of God. And we do not reject such a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the question is, if we are to receive Jesus, the free gift, how do we do that? I mean, how do we receive Jesus? John 3.16 teaches us we receive him by believing in him. That's how we receive him. Jesus says, whoever believes in him, whoever. I have met so many people, especially since coming here to Indonesia. Many of you, you come from all kinds of backgrounds, all walks of life, and several different religions. And this holds true. Whoever believes in him. And many of you have believed in Jesus and you are saved. When I was in America this past few months ago, I went to a conference for ministers. And while I was there in Pennsylvania, I had a chance to meet with one of the leaders from my church organization, the Assemblies of God in, in Pennsylvania. His name was Brother John Bongiorno. And when I met him a few months ago, I believe he's about 85 years old now. But in chit-chatting with each other as we're walking into the place together, he just wanted to stop for a moment and just tell me his testimony. And I think it started when he was about 25 years old. All I could remember him saying was that he was a heavy gambler. And I think he was also a, a drinker. And that's what his whole life was about. He was rebellious. He couldn't stop the gambling. He couldn't stop living the way that he was. And he went to a church and he heard the gospel, but he just thought, that's not for me. And he continued in his way. 
And as he began to tell me how the Lord was working on his heart and how he finally met Jesus Christ and was saved, as he's telling me about this, tears are flowing from his eyes. And he's finding it hard to tell me the story. And I thought, wow, it's been 50 or 60 years since the day he met Jesus, and he's still crying about it. Why? Because he realizes how lost he was. He realizes how deep and sinful his life was. And he realizes what a great salvation God has brought into his life. And he can't tell the story today without tears. Have you ever told somebody about your salvation experience? And you tell them the details that you remember and the things that you said and the ways that you felt. And when you remember those things and recall, do you, do you come to tears? I think many of us do. Jesus says, whoever, whoever believes in him. Belief, receiving is believing. And this word belief, it sort of activates the entire promise of this verse. It all hinges on whether or not you will believe. In fact, let me not get confusing with this, but John 3, 16, remember this today, if anything else. John 3, remember there are three words we're talking about today, and 16, the 16th word of this verse is believe. Believe. Remember that about this verse. But the Bible teaches that it's upon believing in Jesus that we have the promises of this verse. And so how important is it that we understand what it means then to believe? If we are saved only by believing in Jesus, then I ask you, what does believing mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, Jesus helps us. If you still have your Bible with you, Look at the two verses before, John 3, 16. Jesus gives us a picture of what it means to believe. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what does it mean to believe? Jesus says, just remember Moses in the wilderness and that bronze serpent he put on a pole. Well, what does that mean? The story in the Old Testament, when the people of God were being bitten by venomous snakes, they were called fiery serpents, which meant it was a, a painful bite or the venom that traveled through their body was like a fire in them. And it brought one result if you were bitten, death. And people were plagued by these snakes and they were dying every day from this plague. And so God told Moses to take a pole and mold a bronze serpent, the very thing that's killing the people, make it out of bronze, set it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten by a snake, if they will just look, at the bronze serpent, they will be healed and they will live. And so the Bible says that as they were being bitten by snakes and everybody who was bitten, they were dying. When Moses set up that pole and told the people about it, it says, and so it was, 
that when someone was bitten, if they just looked at the pole, they lived. Now Jesus says in the same way, I must be lifted up, which was his way of saying crucified. I must be lifted up. And the message is, if you will just look on me, look upon me, you will be saved. You will be healed. The very thing that was killing the people was that bronze serpent. We are not being bitten by snakes, but there's something else in us that is killing us. It's called sin. And the Bible says that when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. We will die in our sins, but one look, one look to Jesus Christ can save and heal. The people had to believe what God was doing. They had to believe that this was of God, that if they looked, he would heal them. And with that belief in their hearts, they showed that belief by just looking at the pole and they lived in the same way. Jesus says, just as Moses did this, even so I must be lifted up. And if you will look upon me and believe me, believe who I am, believe what I have done, if you will look, you will not perish but you will have eternal life. What does it mean to believe? It's a look. One look can save a sinner. Have you looked upon Christ in such a way? Have you believed in Jesus? Jesus, the Son, He is the central word to this verse, and He is the central word to the entire plan of salvation. And last, we come to the final word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If we reject Jesus, if we do not believe in him, if we do nothing at all, we will perish. But if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he promises us everlasting life. Now this word perish is another way of talking about hell. And we talked about this last week, didn't we? And we talked about how the Bible describes hell. Even Jesus describes hell in these ways, that it is the darkness of blackness forever that it is being cast out into outer darkness, that, it, that it's eternal flames of torment, that it's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and there's no end to it. Well, here Jesus says, for those who do not believe, they will perish. And that word perish, it's describing hell. But this word is trying to convey to you the terror of hell, the fear of hell. This word perish is used like when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus. He said, let's cross over to the other side. And so they all got into a boat. Jesus went underneath in the stern and went to sleep on a pillow. But in the meantime, a storm came and the water was beginning to fill the boat. 
And the disciples were so terrified. They thought they were going to die in the midst of that abyss and drown in those dark, deep waters. And they said, Jesus, do you not care that we are about to perish? You see, they were gripped by fear. And that's what perish means. It's the fear of hell. The word perish is also used when it talks about when Jesus was born. And then he was two years old. And the wise men came to worship him. King Herod found out that the so-called king of the Jews was born. And the Bible says that Herod wanted to destroy Jesus, which is the word for perish. And so when Herod found out that he was deceived, he didn't know where Jesus was. All he knew was that he was in Bethlehem and that he was two years old or younger. So in anger, in wanting to destroy Jesus, King Herod ordered that every child two years old and younger would die. And the Bible says that out of Bethlehem there was weeping, there were cries, they were lamenting, and the mothers could not be comforted because of the horror that had fallen upon them, the death of their children. That fear, that horror is all wrapped up in this word, perish. What's Jesus trying to say? Hell is the darkness of blackness forever. It is torments of fire. It is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it is also endless terror. Endless fear. But this is not what God wants for you. See, because the Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish. God does not want you to perish. He does not want you to be cast out into that place. So what has he done? He's given us Jesus Christ for salvation, to deliver us from that perishing. And so God has set up this dividing line. On one side are those who will perish, those who will not believe. On the other side is everlasting life, for those who will believe, and in the center is Jesus Christ. And as we learned last week from those two thieves that died on either side of Jesus, it's all about what you will do with Jesus Christ. Will you believe in him, or will you reject him, or ignore him, or think that he's not enough? That decision will determine everlasting life or perishing. And there is great fear in perishing. Jesus assures us, he assures us that if you put your faith in him, if you trust in him for salvation, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them from my hand. Oh, we go from this fear of perishing to a great comfort that Jesus himself gives he says, I give them eternal life. So let me ask you, sister, brother, let me ask you, Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, at what point do you have eternal life? Is it something you're looking forward to in the future only? Because according to what Jesus said, you have eternal life right now. You have eternal life. 
And Jesus says, you shall never perish, and neither shall anyone snatch you out of my hand. That's the promise for all those who believe in Jesus. Amen? So church, say this together with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen and amen. And so this one great sentence which summarizes the whole gospel story as it centers upon the Son, Jesus Christ. It begins with God and it ends with everlasting life. It begins with one who has no beginning. And it ends with that which has no ending. What will be the final word for you? Will you believe in Jesus Christ and be saved? One look today, one look can save you and can give you eternal life. Who will believe? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, especially because these very words were spoken by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I pray for all those that are here in the sanctuary today, listening to my voice. If there are those listening now through this live streaming or anybody who may be listening to this somewhere in the future, that all who have heard this word today, I pray, oh God, as you did for that man, Brother John Bongiorno, as you did for me, as you did for all those who are coming onto the stage right now, God, I pray that you will touch the heart of every person here today. And I pray that you will draw them to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that you will speak into their heart and say, one look, young man. One look, young woman. One look in faith toward my son, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you will have the promise right now to claim I have eternal life. You shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch you from the hands of Jesus Christ. Who among you today will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Put your faith, put your trust, put your hope in Jesus, and you will be saved right now where you are sitting. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless these singers now. Minister to our hearts through their song. And thank you that what they sing represents God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No matter what language we speak, you love us with an everlasting love. Amen.